Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, director Ron Howard on his new film, Pavarotti, Solo, and a Willow reboot? Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. And yes, as I mentioned, director Ron Howard, one of the most successful film directors of all time, is back on the podcast today to talk about mixing it up in the best possible way, doing a new documentary about Luciano Pavarotti, the film titled Pavarotti, opens next week in theaters, June 7th. Seek it out. Uh, biggest possible screen you can. You can best surround sound you can. Um, it's, it's definitely a great theatrical experience. I knew virtually nothing about Pavarotti going into this and found myself very entertained and moved. And uh, it's, it's a really good film. And it's fascinating to see what Ron Howard, who's had one of the most remarkable uh, directing careers ever has done in recent years where he's now mixing it up by doing these music docs. Um, so that is the, that's the main topic of conversation with Ron. But of course, I had to talk to him a little bit about Star Wars. He directed Solo last year. We kind of did a little postmortem on that. And yes, we talked a little bit about Willow, one of my childhood favorite films, which, as I found out from Ron, has some life left in it. There is talk of a new continuation of Willow exclusively um, revealed by Ron Howard on this podcast. Uh, always a delight to talk to uh, Ron Howard, and uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. What else to mention? Well, a lot. I've been traveling quite a bit lately. I took a, I took a vacation. I went to Italy. Highly recommend that if you have the opportunity to eat your face off in Italy for a couple weeks. Uh, but then I got a chance to head over to London, uh, where they were doing a bunch of press for uh, a few new, uh, new movies that are about to come out. Uh, I talked to Emma Thompson and Mindy Kaling for their new film, Late Night. I might have mentioned Late Night before. I saw it back at Sundance, a real crowd pleaser that's coming out soon. Um, I realized I don't think I've ever talked to Emma Thompson before, and she did not disappoint she is one of the smartest, most uh, witty human beings on the planet. And I, I hope I hope I get a chance to talk to her uh, more at length in the future. She'd be amazing on the podcast, of course. But even in the, the eight or ten minutes I spent with her and Mindy, uh, she was a delight. Um, also worth mentioning, I talked to the cast of Dark Phoenix. Uh, yes, the newest X-Men film. Talked to the entire group. Fun interviews with James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender, Sophie Turner, Jessica Chastain. All of that stuff is coming out. At you very soon uh, on MTV's social channels, our YouTube page, our Facebook page, on my social channels. You will not be able to miss it. Played some fun games with the guys, had, had a lot of laughs. Um, that is going to be fun for all, I think. Also, the third film I covered while out in London was Rocket Man, the Elton John uh Biopic. It, I mean, to say it's a biopic is a little. Yes, it is a biopic, but it's 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 definitely a different kind of biopic, and I think it, it really serves it well in that it is a full-on musical. It takes, you know, it doesn't doesn't claim to be perfectly accurate. It is very much a subjective journey for the character of Elton John, and it, it reflects his his own personality and his own big personality. And as you may have heard by now, Taron Edgerton, formerly of this podcast, um, is amazing in it. He's just fantastic, and I'm so happy for him that he's getting these amazing reviews. Um, I caught up with him a couple times out in London, talked to Richard Madden, uh, talked to Bryce Dallas Howard, all Howards all the time, <laughs> bring them all on. So uh, some really fun stuff with a cast of Rocket Man on its way too. The other thing I got to do in London was I got to visit our friend, 
Tom Hiddleston. Tom is currently starring on stage in Betrayal, Harold Pinter play, famous Harold Pinter play uh, in London. I had never seen Tom on stage before, I realized. And as you will expect to hear from me, as a big fan and friend of Tom's, he was amazing. He really was. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm saying this legitimately. I'm not shocked. Obviously, he's a great actor. I knew he was a great actor, but he's so good in this play. If you have the opportunity, it's only playing a couple more weeks, I think, in London, and I'm sure it's hard to get tickets, but do what you can. He's fantastic in it. The play, I was not uh, really well-versed in Harold Pinter at all. Um, it's a, it's a, an exceptional piece of work and, and it was great to see Tom on stage, a great hang out with him a little bit while I was out there. And, um, he's doing great. He's awesome. I'm so happy for him. So that made the trip all the more special. So yeah, a lot going on guys. I still haven't seen Aladdin yet. I have to catch up on that, but there's a lot of love in the air for, for book smart while it didn't do huge numbers at the box office. It has so many fans out there. Uh, and I am definitely one of them. So seek out book smart. If you can, uh, check it out, check out the perfection on Netflix. We had Allison Williams here on the podcast last week. Uh, and this coming week, uh, you've got, you've got rocket man, you got Godzilla, you got ma, you got the new Ava DuVernay miniseries on Netflix. There's a lot of good stuff out there, guys. Um, so no complaints from you. Yeah, no Game of Thrones. It's over. Oh, by the way, I'm very proud of myself, guys. I figured out how to watch Game of Thrones while I was in Europe. I was really stressed out about it. But I did it. I cheated the system. I gamed the system. I fooled my computer into thinking that I was logging in from New York. And I watched the finale. And yes, I'm one of the folks that actually enjoyed the finale. So... You haters can keep on hating, but I really dug it. I was a fan. Anyway, speaking of fans, I'm a big fan of this guy, Ron Howard. Enjoy his new film, Pavarotti. It comes out in theaters next week. Seek it out. Uh, and I hope you guys enjoy this chat with Ron. Mr. Howard, Ron Howard, it's always good to see you, man. Thank you, likewise. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. Congratulations on the new film. I was just saying, uh, this is kind of an unusual circumstance in that, like, just because of scheduling and whatever, I literally have just walked out of a screening room wow. seeing this film. Uh, and I, I truly enjoyed it. This is a great piece of work. Um, this Thank is, the film is, the film is, of course, Pavarotti. It's a, a big screen doc. And I was going to say, like, I'm glad I did see it on a big screen. Well, I'm glad you did, too. Uh, it's, uh, and, and I'm thrilled... You know, you never know when you make a documentary that it's absolutely going to be, you know, get a theatrical release. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I was, I was really glad that CBS picked us up and all around the world um, companies have stepped up to distribute us and at least give the audiences a, a shot at um, seeing it and more importantly, I think, even hearing it yes. um, in, a, in, a, in a theater. A lot of care was given to the, to the sound and the music, obviously. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just, I'm rooting for as many people to experience it that way as possible. Well, you know, cause this is like the constant conversation among like, you know, film fans, film geeks nowadays, obviously is like the theatrical experience and where we're at and what, what deserves it, what's going to get a theatrical, uh, uh, experience. And you know, I've just literally been thinking about it in the last five minutes since I walked out of the screening room and I'm like, why is this film beyond the sound and, and, and the story? It, why is this need to be on a big screen? And I feel like it's about emotion, actually. It's about, yeah. it's a, the, the films that I want to see in a theater are ones where I feel something and hopefully feel something surrounded by other people feeling something. Well, uh, you know, look, likewise, at the same time, my wife Cheryl and I 
have been, I mean, m movies and the experience of going to the movies has been sort of central to uh, our relationship um, for, from the beginning. And yet we don't go as often as we used to. Right. Life's gotten busy. It's complicated. There's a lot of great stuff. There are these storytelling formats of which I'm eagerly participating. Of course, yeah. On TV that are just amazing. Um, and, and so it's all the more competitive. So on, on the one hand, I, I, I think audiences do pick and choose those places where this is going to be worth it. I, and and uh, if, you're, if you're curious about the subject and if you either know a lot about opera and care deeply about it, or you're intrigued and have never really fully experienced it. Those are the two groups that I think can best yes. benefit from going ahead and, 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 and getting out to the theater and seeing it. And then, and then after that, of course, I think we, we told a story that I, I think will play well on any of the formats, of course, but I do think that's optimal. You know, we have the we have the Dolby Atmos. We yep. have five point one stereo. We have you know we 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 did everything we could to to make it as much of a concert experience as anything else. And also the story, Pavarotti's life story is fairly operatic. It's pretty dramatic. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of twists and turns. They're very, very they're more relatable than I ever would have expected them. Yeah. To be. They're 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 more um, um, kind of issues that are. I don't know, they're almost a reflection of this, this ambition that he has to just experience life in the fullest. But, but we made a decision early on to use the arias, especially when we started really reading the lyrics right. and understanding the thematics mm. around these arias and using his performances and those arias at select times in the story to parallel his personal journey so that in a way we're kind of making an opera about Pavarotti right. using his performances and and so again I think it's it's best experienced um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a theater but it does bring more emotion and connection I mean I've you know I've 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 heard the uh, uh, you know the sad clown Aria, sure. Uh, the uh, uh, Pagliacci. Yes. Uh, is you know how many times in my life? Right. I mean, I've seen it on, I've seen it, I've seen it uh, satirized yep. in cartoons, mm -hmm. and and yet I never really understood what it was saying, and and it speaks so personally even to me as somebody just from the entertainment world, but we caught this moment in his life where it was the perfect song with this perfect idea to help reflect what he was what he was going through and uh you know it's it's very it's powerful in the movie so which camp were you in going into this you described the two camps because i'm in the latter I'm, I'm like you know everyone knows Pavarotti. there's some shorthand a little bit yeah um and but but, but this is a, this is a film that's like you know 10 minutes in you're like oh this is why it warrants like okay oh. he he brought opera to the masses that's yeah, literally one yeah. of the first things he yes. says in the thing uh i i i was in the category of of uh you know having listened never saw him live mm. not an opera not a not a knowledgeable opera f lover but a fan i appreciate it sure. i appreciate opera and i and and but 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 I but a casual very casual fan, um, and uh, uh, and so I find myself now the the movies you know we're finished we've been finished with it for two months, mm. uh, you know I'm actually listening to more opera at home and in my car than I ever ever did nice. because of course I have a deeper appreciation of it now. Yeah.
Can we talk about the, the use of music in your films throughout your directing career? Sure. I'm curious, like, if there was a learning curve for you in terms of like how best to utilize score or song. Um, you know, I you know I think back to your most consistent collaborator was was James Horner. Yes. Uh, was he a big influence in terms of how to figure out how to marry the image with sound? Well, Bo, yes. The answer is yes to all of it because <laughs> because I'm not a musician. I can play the guitar a little bit. I find it very therapeutic. I do chord patterns. I can't read music. I can't play with other people. Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, and I was also never a great um, consistent consumer. We didn't have a lot of music playing around in our house. Right. I'm not encyclopedic. I don't remember lyrics. Uh, but when a song hits me, it hits me hard. Uh, and, and so I guess what do I respond to? The, the sort of that, I don't know, it's, 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 it's either that pr sort of primal emotional sensation you get or it's the story, it's the narrative, uh, however that's presented, uh, whatever, whatever, whatever um, genre. But so all that said, of all the areas of filmmaking, and I've always need, relied upon the composers more than I've had to rely on anybody else. Right. Because I could figure out where to put the camera. I could talk an actor through a scene. I could sit down and rewrite it if I had to. I might not be as great as some of the A-list a uh, you know, writers I've worked with, but I could get it done. Yeah. I could not get it done. That's good. I've heard this because it's like the language is different. How do you it's communicate to it's a totally musician? <laughs> and yet, what I found is the way you communicate with the musician is the way you communicate with an actor. It is the way you communicate with a writer. You talk about the emotion. You talk about the idea. And the best composers, um, you know, James, James Horner, Tom Newman, uh, that I've worked with, you know, Hans Zimmer, yeah. uh, John Williams, they respond so much to, they don't even trust the screenplay that much, although they'll get an inkling. Mm. It's when they see images. And, um, and the best of them really support what they're seeing, either the shot or, or the actors. Um, and now, w with the music documentaries that I've done, now three of them, mm -hmm. uh, what's interesting is you sort of reverse engineer that. Right. Because you say, what am I feeling in, with this piece of music? What does it mean? And, and, and what does it convey? So if it's the Beatles, early on you might sort of say, wow, that Ringo was a hell of a drummer. Mm -hmm. let's, let's, in fact, what we did was we re-edited a lot of those uh, performances when we would get the dailies back uh, and Paul Crowder would re-edit it to focus on who it was we wanted to, you know, one, w that, we were, that we were dealing with in our story at that right. point. So there was one place where we put all the focus on Ringo, two places really, um, and because there was a bit of a journey. There was him as this exuberant young guy and then there was this guy who was burning out. And, you know, we, we re-edited it to try to do that. Um, and so you have this opportunity, however, to sort of say, what are the songs say to us, what have we learned? They're mostly famous songs, whether sure. it's the Beatles or the, or even these arias. And if you don't know the lyrics, you still have heard the music, yes. you know, and, um, and felt something. And, um, and so it's a very, it's a, it's a very, very different process. It's what can this say? And what does it say about our characters? And what can it convey? Because in, in both instances with the Beatles, eight days a week doc, and now the Pavarotti doc, I, I really was trying to create a cinematic experience. So I'm trying to bring my storytelling sensibilities sure. to these subjects. It's not scripted, but I want it to have the same kind of effect in a way as if it was a scripted narrative. Well, one of the most telling um, uh, moments I think in the film is, is when we learned that um, 
a constant refrain for Pavarotti was, was he was this, the great, the, arguably the greatest tenor of our time, uh, would say, I go to die oh, <laughs> as yeah. he walks out on stage. That? And his insecurity, and, and he didn't like to listen to his old recordings. Right. Uh, and that's an b- amazing scene where his daughter talks about, you know, on his deathbed, yeah. encouraging him to listen and him finally acknowledging Begrudgingly. it. Begrudgingly. Oh, it was pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> uh, you know, but I, but I, I think that's, look, that, that ambition, that standard is something that I've witnessed throughout my life in collaborating and working with, uh, you know, some of the greats. Yeah. And, um, and they, and, um, they hold themselves to, to an incredibly high standard and those around them. And, um, um, it's and and I think I don't think they're ever satisfied. Yeah. Um. But by what they've achieved, and I, I think I think they can, I think they feel grateful that others are embracing it. Yeah. But there's something about their own taste that is so elevated that even they can't get there very often. Right. It's funny because yeah, I mean, in talking to a lot of actors over the years, I feel like it's. It's, it's on very rare occasions I've talked to a performer that 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 just sort of feels like they they own their own talent in a big way, mm-hmm. and sometimes it works out. Like for instance, Denzel. My sense is Denzel like no, I, and I say this like I adore Denzel, but I think he knows his his talent and he's and he feels it. But I think ninety percent of the time you're right. I think it's imposter syndrome for yeah. all of us. Yeah, I think so. And I, I I was talking to my daughter Bryce, who's you know been acting now for eighteen years or something, and she's and she's. Uh, uh, also be, had begun directing right. and putting more and more emphasis on directing and producing and writing um, um, in, in, recent, in recent years. And uh, she, she sent me a great piece a year or so ago about, about um, um, high achievers, um, particularly in the arts, that they have, they have elevated tastes. Right. And if they didn't have that taste, they probably wouldn't reach... The yeah, they'd settle for they'd, they'd mediocrity, settle. and yeah, and um, and uh, and so I I think that I think that that does drive a lot of people, and I, I know Denzel a little bit, um, you know, he, his that out veneer is maybe it's part of the yeah, but he's an artist too, <laughs> sure, and yeah. he and he wants to, you know he wants to be great. I think that you know, I think that they all know that they that they nail it once in a while. Sure. I think Pavarotti knew that he very often nailed it. He just couldn't be sure he would always get it done. Yes. And I think that, And he even says that in the doc. And, yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, there are great stand-up comedians who they know that sometimes they kill and sometimes they bomb. Yeah. And they know that, that just because they killed last night doesn't mean they won't bomb tonight. Right. And, uh, and I think uh, uh, that, that, that most people, uh, authors, feel like the next book might be crap. I think an, another thing where I think any artist uh, can relate uh, in this film is it's kind of the intersection of great craft and then experience and intangible, mm-hmm. right? Like he ha- he clearly had a gift from above, right? Um, and yet it still took him six years from the time that he got the green light from his family and he made his own commitment to make this his career, right? To to actually go pro, to actually you know to uh, not that he wasn't trying, yeah. But he was training six years. He wasn't a prodigy. It was interesting. And it's also interesting that, like, you know, towards the end of the doc, there's this discussion of, like, some people criticizing that he lost a step or two. And then right. and Bono coming to wow, his defense. That was and, a fantastic. Great. And, and, and it's true. It's like you, you think about, 
you know, and this can apply to directors and actors or whatever. It's like you, you get to a certain level of craft. You've, you've maybe like refined it as, right. as much as possible. You have every tool in the tool set. Right. Um, but then the intangibles come into play. Right. Then, then the experience comes into play. Then the life, uh, the, the, the weird life stuff just yeah. g g gets ingrained right. in you. And any way you slice it, it's still, it, it's still, um, um, you know, it's it, it always, always an imperfect process. It's especially in, you know, in, li yeah. in live performance, there's always that. Um, and then there's some excitement in that if you're in the audience right. with, you know, when, when, when do things fully gel and those become these kind of transcendent moments Yeah. and when is it, you know, just fine. Mm -hmm. Uh, and when is there a miss? Um, and, um, I think, uh, I think anybody who throws themselves into it, um, whatever they're doing, making a television show or, or uh, a podcast, yep. or, you know, when, what, what makes a thing click, they're, they, they're, they can't be sure. Right. We're all chasing it. I have to keep chasing it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, and, and, and then have the humility and, and sort of, uh, um, appreciation to know that when it clicks, it's, not all because of you, right? Uh, that uh, the stars align yes. in a particular way, and isn't that great? Well, it's funny because yeah, we're all. I think we're all. You know, we talk about imposter syndrome. We're all also always worried about losing a step, right? Like I had Terry Gilliam on recently, mm -hmm. and he he was very candid. He's like, look, my greatest fear is that I've lost it, and I and I won't ever get it back. Right. And 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 that's some. And I guess that's what makes the greats keep pushing Striving. themselves. Yeah, yeah, in different well, ways. I started into this, and then I kind of got derailed. But I, you know. I got to act with with uh, John Wayne and Henry Fonda. I um, and I I got to uh, direct Betty Davis. Right. Um, I acted with you know Ben Johnson and Glenn Ford, Barbara Stanwyck, and and uh, Jimmy Stewart, and Andy Griffith. You know, falls into the category of I think of an all time great, and and uh, the, these people. We're constantly striving, and if yeah. there's one thing they had in common, it's work ethic. And I see the same thing in Tom Hanks. I yeah. see the same thing in Russell Crowe and Kate Blanchett, um, and uh, um, um, you know, and it's uh, you know, it's 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 really hard work. I I, I just yeah. I just worked a year ago on Solo with Donald Glover, and he's having this unbelievable moment. But I am telling you, this is a thoughtful, right. dedicated um, uh, artist. And he just happens to be have tremendous capability in a lot of in a, in a lot of uh, areas of discipline, yeah. you know, uh, uh, aspects of the business. But none of this is coming easy to this guy, right? Um, except that he's smart and he's dedicated. He's got this great work ethic. And it's always astounding because, especially the people you just kind of rattled off, um, the the real one of the real talents is to make it us not see the seams and make mm -hmm. it look easy. Tom Hanks looks effortless yeah. on screen. Yeah. You, you yeah. can't see the I acting. Was, I always say, you know, I, I, he's, he's a big baseball fan. And I said, oh, I never saw DiMaggio play center field, but I, I suspect it would have been a little, a little bit like you yeah. handling that scene we just did, yeah. Tom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Joe was just sort of like lounging about out there and then the ball would always find him. It yeah, just, yeah. it was, yeah, exactly. Um, you, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot about music. Uh, you've never done a musical. We've talked before about how, like, you are one of those guys that's literally done almost every genre. I'm, you know what? I'm developing a musical right now, and I can't really talk about yeah. it too much, but it's a lot of fun. Um, and uh, um, and it's an, it would be an animated original um, oh, cool. musical. And I really hope we get to do it. Who knows? Right. Uh, and, and we're also talking about 
several Imagine movies that are, are being workshopped uh, or developed uh -huh. um, into musicals. Um, and uh, Wait, is Backdraft a musical? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, I think maybe they'd like it to be, but that might be, a, you know, well, we'll see. We'll get by these first couple and then see if we want to go for the uh, fireballs. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> that's, that's a whole Spider-Man turn off the dark kind of thing. A, you don't want that. We had a, we had a, there was a Backdraft ride that was very popular was. for about 20 years. So we can, we can manage, we can control those pyrotechnics, maybe. <laughs> so are we, are we talking about things that you've directed in the past? Uh, any hints you can yeah. offer? Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to have to. A couple of them. All right. And, um, uh, you know, so we'll, again, uh, uh, Theater yeah. is years in development, sure. and uh, um, but uh, uh, I've been to a couple of the workshops. They're really fun to be around. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not rolling up my sleeves and taking charge, mm -hmm. but uh, it's it's thrilling. Uh, it's also, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, this is a, a bit of a digression, but went to one this one workshop, and they'd only been working on it for a week. They were all in shows. I didn't know about Broadway artists. Right, how this works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're all in shows, and they're doing this for kind of like, I don't know, next to nothing, yeah. just to kind of do it, and killing themselves, giving a hell of a performance. They've, they've put it all together in five days. Those of us around the project that are coming from the movie world, they're saying, man, we thought we worked fast and well. <laughs> this is just mind-blowing. And, uh, you know, and they're absolutely stunning. The talent is yeah. just um, amazing. I've been to a couple of these workshops, and... Uh, uh, it's uh, it's impressive. Again, I, I'm always you know ha hats off to the work ethic. Absolutely. Inspiration is a great thing, but it's it's putting that unbelievable effort and as you said, making it look easy. Exactly. It's a, the, the mind blower that I always appreciate. Um, you met you mentioned Solo. We haven't talked since Solo. Uh, I'm a great fan of of that film. Thank you. Um, and it and and. And there are a lot of fans out there. Let's not like you know like misconstrue yeah, this yeah, that this right. was like a huge flop. It it yeah. made a lot of money no, and a lot, a lot of people of loved it. Just didn't live up to the to the expectations. And uh, you know obviously uh, uh, factors at play in terms of timing of the release. Yeah, do you, that was my. Th I mean, do you think if if it had been released in Christmas, that movie makes a hundred more million dollars, doesn't I, it? Most people look. In all honesty. Yeah. I don't really watch the Star Wars movies as closely as everybody else does. I mean, I've seen them all sure. and some of them twice, um, but they're not on replay for me. Um, so I'm most of my opinions are formed by people who really have done that. And I came in eager to help, felt like I could, yep. had a blast, always curious about what it was to sort of work in the galaxy. And in normally it takes three years. I got to work like eight months and have an experience. Right. And I feel very good about the way it turned out. And I could, you know, I, I love the way it played to audiences, which I witnessed and I was a part of. So, so all of that I'm able to feel good about. Sure, I wish it would have done, you know, and lived up to the uh, box office expectations and, yeah. so, and, and so forth. So that's disappointing. Why? Maybe it's the release. Maybe, maybe it's the idea that, that uh, it's, it's sort of too nostalgic, mm. that go, going back and revisiting... Um, you know, an origin story for a character, a beloved character, right. may not may not be what the fans were looking for. Yeah. It kind of seemed to me, in looking at it, like the opening, which was big, not as big as the mm. others, and it would be like it was probably my biggest opening right. personally. Right. Uh, it was still disappointing, a little disappointing for them. But um, uh, I think that was those are the hardcore fans. Yeah. That sort of tells you like how how many people are tagalongs. Yep. 
who need to wait to see what people think or whether it's essential, like it's a zeitgeist movie or not, uh, or, and whether it's just, I love Star Wars and I want to see, you know, what's next. And so that, whatever millions they'd made uh, worldwide, those, those are the hardcore fans, but it didn't hit that zeitgeist point right. for whatever reason. Timing, um, young Han Solo, uh, um, um, I, I'll, I'll push back from the previous movie, which I kept hearing was maybe something, uh, and, uh, and some trolling. Definitely some trolling, some actual aggressive. <laughs> You'd heard the stories, and now you you were like, "Oh yeah, this is real." That's what that is. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty. Um, you know, it was it was it was pretty interesting. Uh, like you saw that see. on your own, like Twitter feed and all that kind of stuff. Like just N- sort of not so much. I mean, a little bit the Twitter feed, yes, uh, but it was uh, especially noticeable uh, prior to the release of the movie mm. in several of the algorithms, whether it's Metacritic or Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, there was an inordinate push down on the want to see right. and on the fan voting. Uh, and when you look at it, it's like three, four, five, three, four, five, or whatever the rating is on, I forget what it is on Rotten Tomatoes, whether, whether it's a scale of one to five or one to 10, I can't remember, but pretty high. Sure. And then like a series of zeros or halves or ones or something like that. And it, and it you know, it's um, um, those... Uh, some friends of mine from Silicon Valley explained it to me mm. and how it works. Uh, and uh, uh, and like, uh, you've been trolled wrong. <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> Here's how you can tell. Uh, and uh, uh, so again, uh, under the under that circumstance, I didn't take it yeah. personally at all. Uh, but I felt badly, um, you know. And I thought Alden did a really great job and oh my really God, hard with, work with an impossible, incredibly thing talented to to. guy yeah, yeah, yeah. and dedicated guy. And I had a blast with everybody. Uh, and and I, look, a year later, it's kind of interesting. You wouldn't think you'd participate in a Star Wars project and have have it wind up being uh, a, a kind of a uh, uh, the cult a, guy, the cult a classic, cult, <laughs> a, a cult movie. But I can already tell that it's, no, it is. That, that those who have affection for it yep. uh, are are uh, uh, pretty adamant in their feelings, and that that's nice. Have you ever? Talk to Lord Miller post the the release. Have yeah. you, have they seen it? Have they t- said anything about? We didn't it? talk about whether they. Well, they they saw they did see. You know, they're exec producers on it. Yeah. Still, uh, they did see a cut and give me some notes and things like that and okay. feedback. It was all very collegial yeah. between us. Uh, and I've bumped into them since. Uh, but we didn't really talk about the right. you know the movie experience. I'm right. sure you know it had to be an awful yeah. disappointment for them. And it's uh, a shame that it, things went down the way they they did. Uh, and uh, but I wound up having a really interesting creative uh, experience, which I'm I'm grateful for. And, and now the next generation is directing Star Wars too. Bryce has directed an episode of The Mandalorian. Yes, she had a blast <laughs> and learned so much from John Favreau and, and company. And uh, um, and uh, you know, and it's it, it was f- thrilling to go visit her. And uh, she's a natural director, but she's every, she's been directing. Really, for about ten years. Yeah, I've seen some of the shorts that she's done. Short films, yeah. but some of those short films are like a half hour long. Yeah, and uh, um, and and uh, and then also some branded stuff, some doc stuff, and things like that. And she's doing a documentary right now, along with Mandalorian. She's doing and a lot of things she's developing because she's really making a move into producing and directing, um, without giving up on 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 acting. She's she's coming up uh, soon in Rocket, Rocket Man, Man. Mm-hmm. and I've seen some of it. She's great in it. Great yeah. in it. Uh, and of course, looking forward to the next Jurassic, Jurassic. of course. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, she's she's doing a documentary um, about fatherhood called Dads, 
Oh, uh, I saw that she she interviewed you the other she day, just right? Yeah, the other day. Uh, and uh, is, do, are we sure this is a doc and it's just not her just interview. asking questions that she always wanted to ask? You, just like. <laughs> She's very kind. It okay. wasn't a confrontation. Good. Uh, thank God. Uh, but she she definitely knew uh, how to push the buttons on old dad. Nice. And she did. <laughs> um, Coming full circle a little bit to how we started, um, you know, it strikes me, you know, we're talking about the theatrical experience, talking about Netflix, you're doing a Netflix film next. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it does strike me like a lot of the films that you've done in your career, if they're made today in 2019, I don't know. I think they're Netflix movies. I, they're tough movies to get in theaters. Yeah. I mean, you'll get Cinderella Man, Beautiful yeah. Mind. I'm Beautiful Mind won Best Picture, and I, I don't know, I know if that's in a theater I'm today. Not, I'm not sure it would be today. Or, uh, you, you know, if so, it, it would be made for a lot less money yeah. and, and, and have to navigate the festival circuit and, and, uh, and, and be a kind of an indie uh, release. And the, the reality is that it's one of the reasons why we're doing so much television, Brian Grazer right. and I, at Imagine. Is is that uh, it's it's a it's, be, it's become a more and more ambitious uh, outlet for great storytelling, and uh, so you know it's it's thrilling if you can get a mainstream network show like Empire that is we're is an imagined show and you know and we're so proud of or uh, you know or all the years we had Twenty Four, right. uh, um, but uh, but it's also exciting to be doing you know. Wu Tang Clan for Hulu, right? Uh, uh, or, or I'm I'm developing um, or Genius, you know, yes, the, uh, for Nat did, Geo, yeah. yeah, for Nat Geo, Einstein, and then Picasso. Yeah. So these things are are just offering us this other opportunity. So would we would we have chosen to make a Beautiful Mind a, a movie, or would we have taken it in this other direction and told right. even more of John Nash's story? Yeah. You know? Is there? Uh, well, let's get this out of the way. As we said, the last time I saw you, you were in my office and there was a Willow comic hanging over it. Yes. <laughs> so where the hell are we at? I mean, this, in this age of reboot culture, it boggles my uh, mind there, that there, there is not a Willow continuation. There, there are some really serious discussions going on right. uh, with John Kasdan, who was one of the writers of Solo, Solo sure. uh, who kept hounding me about Willow the whole time we were shooting <laughs> and also hounding Kathy Kennedy um, and uh, we are in discussions uh, about doing a, a developing a Willow television show for the Disney Plus. Amazing. Uh, and uh, I think it'd be a great way to go. In fact, George always talked about the possibility of a Willow series, which he just felt innately would be great, more intimate, mm -hmm. around built around that character and and, uh, and 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 some of the others. And John Kazan has, I think, it's an inspired take uh, on it. And uh, it could be really, really cool. And so it's, fingers crossed. And a continuation, not a reboot. This, this no, is continuation, the continuation. So some familiar work characters. work would be in it. Of course. Willow, How do we do yeah, Willow no, without no, Warwick no, Davis? Okay. Warwick is so cool and so good, and he's just he's such a good actor uh, that I, I I really hope he we get we get a chance to see the uh, the, the mature uh, yeah. Willow in action. Yeah, we've seen a lot of him like he's as a comedian in different forms, but yeah, it'd be fun. Yeah. And even back in Willow, he showed great comic timing. Yeah, yeah. But to be the hero again, yeah, pretty be great. great. Yeah. Uh, you should direct at least one of those, man, if I that happens. To. I hope to. We'll see how it goes. Um, and so uh, can you tell me a little bit about Hillbill Elegy? This is Amy Adams, an interesting ensemble. Glenn Close, Amy Adams. Uh, the the uh, um, we're, uh, It's based on uh, the memoir, Hillbilly Elegy. J.D. Vance wrote it. Uh, and uh, um, it was a New York Times bestseller for I think uh, nearly two years, uh, but it was 
it was highly politicized. And while I think JD does make some, some sort of political uh, points, and they're almost a sociopolitical component to um, to the book. Mm. Um, our story is is the is this this case study of an American family, um, and so it's much much more the the personal journey, a couple of key moments in his life that we're 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 digging into um, and um, and and developing. We start shooting in a couple of months. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm fascinated by it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not just about Appalachia or, you know, or the Rust Belt. Yeah. It's, it's really is about sort of r rural Americana. Um, and, um, they're, they're, um, navigating their place in society, uh, today, uh, or, or what is commonly their, 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 the sort of the, 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 the slippery footing that um that they're that they're they're feeling and it's uh, it's very much about navigating that and trying to break uh um cycles of uh of of um you know, family disappointment. It's kind of it's kind of remarkable. I mean, we talk again about sort of like the many genres you've hit in your career. It's like I, if I literally charted out like from one point to another, like what you just described, couldn't be further from Pavarotti or virtually every other thing you've done. Like it's just like it's almost like you're like, yeah. you know what? I'm gonna go as far away as possible and see if I can oh, do it. It's not that intentional, although I do believe you got to take risks, which is another reason why I decided to throw myself into solo because mm -hmm. I thought it would be fascinating and I and uh, and and really interesting. And and uh, um, it it was, uh, but but I I love I love you know sort of moving picture stories. I whether yeah. it's movies or television, <laughs> I you know and and uh, um, and I'm and I'm really curious about the way things work in our world and whether it's at a fictionalized exploration of something, um, even through fantasy or you know the allegory of fantasy mm. or 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 broad comedy. Um, you know, or it's based on real events. Uh, I, I, it, what I, what I always do, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say this applies to solo. That was really like a professional <laughs> opportunity. Sure. That, that was like a, this is like a, you know, do you, do you, do you feel like tackling this challenge? Um, but in, in, in 90% of the projects that I've taken on, it really is, I'm, I'm curious. I'd like to see it. And what do I? And I think there's something of myself I can bring to it. It's yeah. not autobiographical, but there's something about it that I connect with, and I, I'd love to explore that. I think I can make something entertaining and 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 and, and meaningful to people, um, you know, so that it's not a waste of their time. Now, then, you never know about marketing. You yes. never know about a story's place in the moment in terms of a, as a as a as an entertainment um, product, right. you know. But I don't think that way. I think about taking that story it's as far as I can. It's enough of a challenge to make an actual well, good well, I, storytelling. I mean, Brian Grazer, my partner in Imagine, is much better at, right. at predicting these things, and, and he's great at it. But, but uh, I, you know, I just try to make it so that if, you know, when I reach a point where if the vast majority, 80% 80 or, 80 or more of the audience that goes to see the film actually has a positive experience and, and, and gets something out of it, then I feel like That's I've kind win. of done my yeah. job. Do you... Do you Consume more TV or film nowadays. I mean, nowadays it's more television. Yeah. I, you know, my Cheryl and I uh, are are uh, um, coming up on our uh, 44th wedding anniversary next uh, in June, and uh, um, 
and I, and our, you know, our relationship has almost always re revolved around going to the movies. I mean, right. that's the that's the fun thing. That's the date. That's the, that's that's the romantic, you know, decision is to go. What movie do we want to go see? And um, uh, and nowadays, is it what do we binge next? Yeah, because that's me and my but way. Not so much binging. Yeah. <laughs> We're not really big bingers. Okay. but it's what do we want to keep up with? Yeah. So, you know, we, we never really watch more than about two episodes at a time, but, but we get hooked into something and it becomes, we start to feel pretty urgent <laughs> about uh, following it through. And that's great. And it's, you know, and it gives us something to talk about. We still cherish those moments when there's something that really is compelling us yeah. to go out to the movies and sit there together uh, with an audience and, and have an experience. And... You know, and some of them are turning out to be uh, docs more, more than ever. I mean, one of our best experiences last year was going to a movie theater to see the Mr. Rogers documentary. Sure. And it was great for us. Yeah. We had a great night uh, seeing it. And uh, so, you know, I think inter there's more, more than ever, there's lots to choose from. It, it, it challenges all of us creative types to, to step up um, and compete. Did you, out of curiosity, did you see Apollo 11, the doc? Uh... Not yet, but Brian saw it. Brian Grazer and said it was remarkable. It's amazing. I can't wait to you see old... it. He was blown away, yep. and, he, and he, he didn't expect to really learn anything new, and he sort of, he, I think, grudgingly went because somebody had invited him to a screening or something like that, and he has just talked about it nonstop, and I've got to see it. You will, and see it on a big screen. I, I'm sure Great. they're going to bring it back because yeah. that, like, the footage they have found is just, it will... Amazing. Yeah, especially given wait. your experience yeah, with the, the subject matter. Um, in retrospect, we we're talking about a lot about TV versus film. Should Dark Tower just have been a TV series to start? Was that the was that the mistake on that? Because that was one that we talked about for years, and you were going to direct it at one point. And I think it should have been horror. I think that that it it landed in a place, both in our minds got, yeah. and, and and the studios, that it could be PG thirteen and sort of a boy's adventure, right. and, um, and, and, and that it could... It you could start to see the broad uh, yeah, <laughs> possibilities. Uh, and, and, it's... And, and I really think we made a mistake not... I mean, I'm not sure we could have made this movie, yeah. but I think if we could have made a darker, more hard-boiled um, look and, and make it the gunslinger's character study right. um, more than Jake, I think that, in retrospect, I think that would have been... the maybe the more exciting. I felt like we were, we always felt like we were kind of holding back yeah. something. And I think at the end of the day, um, it, it was that. The other thing might have been to, to just to straight on tackle it as, as, uh, as television first. I don't know. Disappointing because I poured a lot of myself into it. And, and sometimes this happens on these projects where everybody's best intentions, you're all pulling in a direction and then you sort of say, was that the right direction? Yeah, and how did we get here? Like, with so yeah. many different iterations, and it's yeah. like, wait, we and somehow I we got it. It was all compromise. I mean, yeah. I, I do think it it it, uh, it was it was just a a sense of maybe, you know, maybe that too much listening to what you think the marketplace is calling for, right? Uh, instead of really the essence of what Stephen King was giving us. Is your is your happiest part of the process being on a film set or is it edit room or what where where do, where do you feel like you're most I energized and well I really love development meetings with writers yeah I think that's great um, the sparks I, are flying the sparks and are yeah. flying I also love where I am right now with Hillbilly Elegy uh, where it's prep right so screenplays come a long way Vanessa Taylor's done a very good job with it we're still working on it now we're 
where I'm working with the cinematographer, a woman named Maurice Alberte, and our production designers and so forth. And, you know, what's it going to look like? Where are we going to shoot? Where do we, where do we, we're dreaming the movie a little bit right now right. while we go around and visit these locations. We have, there's not a lot of deadline pressure. Right. Plenty of Anything's time for, possible. Nothing uh, can go wrong right now. Nice, comfortable lunches. <laughs> exactly. A little laughing, a little, a little dreaming, uh, and, um, uh, and a little problem solving. And I find that a lot of fun. I love shooting. I really, really still, my legs hurt, my back hurts, my head hurts. Uh, I don't get enough sleep. But the excitement of going, that's like going on the expedition. Yeah. And, and so that is that, you know, that sense of adventure that you experience uh, and the teamwork of, of trying to pull together. I love, I love um, that the collaboration and that excitement that comes from it. And when you, when you add to it the pressure cooker of uh, the constraints of live action production, you never have enough money, you right. never have enough time. I don't care you know, right. what, what the budget, what the, what the, what the budget tells you you've got. <laughs> uh, your ambitions always exceed that. And, um, and it's been my life being on that set. So that's a place, that and my living room are the places I'm most comfortable. <laughs> Those are the two places. And uh, so I think, I'll, I think I'll always enjoy shooting. Um, there's a backdraft too that exists, Ron. I haven't Let's, seen that yet. Can we end on this? How uh, is that possible? Uh, well, I, it's, we, uh, you know, it's Universal's IP. Uh, they, they I keep, just discovered this the other week, control. and I was like, "What?" I don't know. I hope it's good. I Me don't too. know. I don't know, uh, man. Uh, but uh, um, but my friend Bill Baldwin, I see, was in it, he so he it. got a gig out of it, and well, that's a good thing. Okay. Uh, and uh, so I hope I hope the people I hope people enjoyed it. <laughs> Always wishing the best for others. Um, <laughs> uh, congratulations, honestly, on the on the new film, Pavarotti. If you have the opportunity to see it in a theater, see it in a theater. It's you know, again, I came from a, a casual fan perspective, and it made me certainly appreciate. And and as you say, it's a very relate. He's a very relatable human. There's a lot of humor in it. Yes, which was uh, you know another another pleasant surprise. I mean, he's, oh my god, his spirit is. Just, he's a kid. He's yeah, a big kid. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and and he knew how to be funny. Yeah, he had great timing. And you can see you can see like I mean, you've worked with the biggest movie stars on the planet. Yeah. This guy like lights up a room. Like, I met him one time very briefly. Yeah, and it was in a room of movie stars and television stars. And he showed up and he was it. Yeah. And that was the thing. I had briefest handshake. Um, um, but, uh, uh, you know, but the, the charisma was there. But it was just so, so interesting that he was the brightest star in a room full of, you know, all kinds of award winners. And Yeah. Well, you definitely captured it in this one. Uh, well worth checking out, Ron. It's always a pleasure. Pleasure. Thanks. Nice talking to you. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. (laughs) 